Seconds remaining, Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. from all the cultures of all the people all over the world. If you hear uh, like you think the ones on, what do you call it, music at the restaurants or on the elevators? That music is destructive. That music, if we had good music playing for people in a happy society on the streets, you know? I feel like uh, my music, uh, I have a new record coming out. I feel like, well, maybe this time they'll hear it. Yes, indeedy. Well, welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And winter has returned, which I guess is kind of good news. But in spite of the miserable weather the last couple of days, uh, we needed the rain, so we shouldn't complain. Well, I'm going to say that I wish it had been snow. (laughs) Uh, I know that's probably not popular with a lot of people. It would have been a lot of snow. But it would have been a lot of snow. and A lot. It's January. Yeah. It's yeah. supposed to be snowing. I don't want my lilacs to get ruined. Budding here in uh, January, that doesn't make any sense. That's not part of anybody's plan. Well, it's interesting that there are still green lawns in Ann Arbor. Yeah. Even as late as January 14th. Um, unheard of. Uh, that might... They might disappear uh, shortly. We'll, we'll see how the runs happen, but obviously the weather is uh, very interesting. I don't know if you've heard about the 110-degree days out in Australia. Hmm. Um, in fact, there was a, a wildfire. Wildfires raging, So yeah. bad in one province that people actually had to run into the uh, ocean to escape uh, being burned alive. And smog in China. Wow. Yeah, big-time smog in China, uh, w- very toxic levels. Um, ten, course, times the, uh, the, uh, and, and, you know, the, ten times the ten times the air of of New York City, which you would uh, think, and and thirty six times uh, above the recommended safe level uh, according to the World yeah. Health Organization. Thirty six times. Yeah, it's amazing because uh, I think smog is a as a sort of a word uh, developed in the early fifties. There was this period of about two or three weeks in London. Of course, London in 1950, there were only three cities in the world that had over 10 million people. Tokyo, London, and New York City. And London, needless to say, people were still using lots of coal in their fireplaces. Good old clean coal. So it was the combination of soot and fog that 
Uh, the word smog, I th- believe, is actually derived from. I'll have to check my O. It's smoke and fog. Is yeah, it smoke, smoke and, fog? and fog? Yeah, that's smoke the, and fog. Okay, well that makes sense. Derivation of that coinage, but <clears throat> of course, mm. as uh, the Chinese people are now finding, uh, smog is one of the bonus prizes in uh, rapid industrialization and uh, hyper upscaling of one's economy. Yeah, and it's it's the stagnant air around the Beijing area. Many of the actual so-called plants have been moved outside the city, but it's that greater Beijing area that's uh, the problem. So yet one more environmental yeah. I like man-made it, disaster. It, as it's reported here by Jamil Anderlini in the uh, Financial Times, Uh, Toxic smoke envelops Beijing. Uh, Here's the quote. Residents who went outside complained of sore throats, stinging eyes, chest pain, headaches, and here's the kicker, and an apocalyptic atmosphere in which the tops of low-rise buildings could barely be seen through the haze. You know, it's bad enough when your eyes are stinging and you're getting the chest pains from the smoke, but it's that apocalyptic atmosphere that uh, really lets you know you're in for a treat today. Yes, Soylent Green type atmosphere. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, sm- this is just one more, uh, you know, it, the, the country and the world is focused. The most densely uh, populated country in the world is increasingly industrialized, and now they have, I don't know what the ratio of cars in China today uh, relative to 10 years ago is, but it's off the chart. It's astonishing because China is uh, actually now lar- a larger car market than the United States, but of course they also have uh, five times as many people. But uh, it's the rapid industrialization and in some ways the unsustainable mm-hmm. uh, industrialization that uh, is the problem. Of course, speaking of China, I noticed that uh, Genghis Khan, in addition cockroaches <laughs> scored better on public opinion approval polls than Congress. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there was another... No, uh, no surprise there. Yeah, another list of incredible uh, villains that uh, exceeded uh, uh, Congress. Uh, no surprise there. Um, also wanted to mention that Richard Nixon would have been 100 last week. <laughs> oh, well. <clears throat> So it would Lucky be 13. fascinating to know what uh, Richard Nixon would think of the modern Republican Party as well as the workings of Congress if he were still alive. Wanted to give out a brain damage award. Oh, you also. could be sure Nixon would be in the pocket of the the big the big business aspect of the Republican Party. Oh, not yeah. not the teabaggers. No, not the teabaggers. He, He's in the pocket. He had a little Sorry, little, jump in there. Little little thing about IT and T and the <laughs> the milk fund and. The Mexican slush fund and all We could get that money. Pepsi-Cola was another one of his uh, favorite donors. Oh, in yes. fact, uh, He sat on the board of directors briefly, I think, or he was a lawyer for Pepsi. Yeah, he was a, a lawyer for Pepsi. In fact, I believe one of the trivial things to know about Richard Nixon was I think he was actually in Dallas the day of the Kennedy assassination. On Pepsi-Cola business. On Pepsi-Cola business and suspiciously left two hours before John F. Kennedy was murdered in Dallas. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, Nixon opened uh, the Soviet Union up to Pepsi-Cola marketing mm-hmm. uh, as part of his detente policy. But we'll have plenty. Pepsi for Stolichnia vodka. That was the original yeah. exchange. Well, I have more to say on Richard Nixon and upcoming shows. I was mentioning last week that this is the 40th anniversary of most of the 
sort of seminal events of the scandal known as Watergate that ultimately Indeed. led to Richard Nixon's downfall. Wanted to give out a brain damage award also to the sort of trivial trivialization of this nominating process that we're seeing uh, involving the three white men. Uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, perhaps unfortunate that Obama introduced Kerry Hagel and uh, John Brennan simultaneously. Perhaps the optics weren't uh, politically correct, but it strikes me as sort of strange that this would be a criticism of the first African-American president, who, of course, is going to be inaugurated next week. Uh, usually in a second term, a president sort of wants a team that can work together and think together. And, of course, historically, the State Department and the Defense Department have had a lot of rivalries. Mm. Um, and it's actually caused some conflicts in terms of policy in some presidencies. And I think that it's quite clear that Hegel and uh, John Kerry are sort of on the same page uh, about uh, Obama's foreign policy ideas. And I also want to get back to the uh, complete irrelevancy of some of the issues being brought up in the Hegel nomination. Uh, John Kerry, of course, seems to be sort of sacrosanct. I, I don't think he's in any trouble whatsoever. Uh, a tragic uh, American figure in some ways, because I think he was perhaps m one of the most qualified people to ever run for president in terms of his diverse background. But getting back to Hegel, of course, we've seen the steady drumbeat of uh, these sort of... Uh, Quotes from the past uh, regarding uh, his positions on uh, gay rights or his opinion of some ambassador who was a homosexual um, and uh, the uh, so-called uh, Israel lobby. And the, the fact that the neoconservatives are banging the drum on this uh, trivialization I think is troubling because they've been proven wrong time and time again about virtually every subject related to foreign policy. Um, Hegel is, uh, in addition to being accused of being anti-Semitic, this was an accusation that Elliot Abrams, of all people, made on national public radio last week. Uh, of course, he a convicted felon from the Iran-Contra affair and part of the project for the New American Century that was advocating the war with Iraq. And uh, got almost everything that you could get wrong, wrong. Yeah, um, misled Congress, misled the American people, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, for them to, of course, w what Hegel really did that has drawn their ire was uh, begin to critique President Bush and the surge, and he turned against the war in Iraq. As did the recently uh, belated General Norman Schwarzkopf yeah. on the second go-around. So what's new? What's, what's wrong with the neocons if it's okay for one guy to naysay the Bush war and not, not Hegel. Yeah, and I think that this uh, other criticism that he wants to talk to Iran is another bizarre critique. Um, first of all, it's important to realize that this is an example of a kind of an inability to understand what people's jobs really are. Exactly. Hegel, if he's uh, you know, uh, confirmed as Secretary of Defense, is running the Pentagon. He's not formulating foreign policy. Yes, he would contribute probably in cabinet discussions on certain subjects, but uh, he would not determine foreign policy vis-a-vis -vis Iran or Israel. So all of the criticism strikes me as, as completely off base and is an element to, once again, trivialize the process, create this kind of constant tension 
that they really is somewhat pointless. Um, the last secretary nominee to be defeated in a senatorial vote actually goes back to the first George Bush. John Tower was uh, um, nixed <laughs> because of uh, personal problems related to uh, philandering. And Large quantities of alcohol. And drinking. Um, so I don't know if we're going to see uh, these attacks go into the realm of the personal, but don't be surprised. The neoconservatives are desperate for victories. And they're, they're, they're looking for fights. I mean, they're because they're, they've fights. got precious little else to uh, preoccupy themselves with. Yeah. Uh, their, their key strategy is to just go against and of course, now that it's been revealed that Hegel will uh, focus on cutting defense spending, something that they're clamoring for pretty much on a daily basis in their uh, discussions about uh, the debt ceiling limit, the budget negotiations, the sequestration, et cetera, et cetera, it's mind boggling that they now uh, have their cake but don't want to eat it. <laughs> they want frosting <laughs> and no cake. Uh, so uh, we'll give them a brain damage award for continuing this uh, strange public relations gambit. I don't think it's going to work at the end of the day, and I think that it's off base. And what's new? The neoconservatives are off base on just about everything. And I'll throw out a quick brain damage award to, uh, alas, Michigan's own Motor City Madman Ted Nugent, <clears throat> whose latest ploy is to uh, hire some lawyers to write a fairly bland letter, very politely uh, stated, given his history of making rash threats. Uh, he has uh, composed, or through his lawyers, composed a very polite letter calling on President Obama to do something about the violence that is not associated with guns but with mental disorders. And, of course, <clears throat> there are many ways in which the systems that... Uh, were once in place to help uh, the insane. Uh, we saw those dwindle away here in the state of Michigan what, into the Engler years uh, decades ago. Uh, so a lot of these uh, people who do need help, the insane, the uh, potentially criminally insane. <clears throat> but if uh, Ted Nugent wants to just simply ascribe uh, these large-scale massacres to simple insanity without taking into account seriously the role that military-style commando weapons uh, play. That seems to be opening up a can of worms uh, for the NRA to me because uh, isn't paranoia, insane, intense paranoia, a form of mental illness? I think a lot of these people who feel the need to stockpile uh, military-style weapons in their homes are maybe a little crazy. Yeah. So, you know, this is not to paint all gun owners, certainly with the same brush, as I said uh, in the show over the holidays, that uh, have plenty of respect for hunters and for, you know, sane, responsible uh, handgun owners. Uh, these are things that uh, seem to have a viable purpose and if carefully, responsibly used, uh, a welcome function uh, when needed from time to time. But these assault-type weapons... It's you, you can't just sweep that problem uh, under the the rock and and focus on insanity because where are the funds going to come from to screen all the insane? Although it is interesting to see that there's some progress being made 
on uh, improving the background checks, the, the laws that are already in place. In fact, there's a story on the front page of the New York Times today about that. Both sides agree. Punish background check liars. Uh, nearly 80,000 Americans were denied guns in 2010, uh, but only 44 of those people were actually charged with the crime of falsely or inaccurately providing information on their personal histories. Which is interesting because uh, there, of course, over the weekend was a sort of prominent suicide by an Internet That's right. uh, fellow who I don't know a heck of a lot about, but um, it's interesting that MIT is going to conduct an investigation into MIT's role in the prosecution of Aaron Schwartz. Um, and I read a little bit about this uh, young man. Uh, I heard a lengthy discussion about this incident on BBC on Saturday night while cab driving, and there did seem to be some troubling troubling aspects to the government's approach to prosecuting this case uh, for reasons that I think that the president of MIT has justifiably indicated that there will be an internal investigation into their role in the matter. He, of course, certainly had his problems, too. Uh, it sounds like he did suffer from depression, perhaps was a young fellow that spent a little bit too much time working with computers. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. Uh, you know, you need some balance in your life, and sometimes child prodigies, he's described as a um, complicated pro- prodigy, um, yet the gray beards viewed him with awe, according to uh, Susan Crawford, a professor of law at the Cardozo uh, Law School in New York, named after, of course, a former Supreme Court justice. So this will be an interesting story to keep following. Uh, Jamie on uh, the tech technology show on Tuesday nights here on WCBN may have more to say about this because uh, this young man was a sort of an advocate of free and more um, accessible Internet um, availability and uh, access to documents and whatnot. Um, it does sound like the theft at MIT probably did involve some sort of low-level crime, a third-rate burglary, so to speak, <laughs> but uh, hardly uh, justifiable. Just think what Nixon might have done if he'd had computers. If he'd had computers, he would have oh. been... We're cooking now, Henry. He would have been on top of everything. <laughs> top of the world. <laughs> Looking down on creation. In fact, he might not have gotten any foreign policy done. <laughs> he would have been... <laughs> world of Warcraft. <laughs> he would have been surfing the web all night. <laughs> no rock off either. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll uh, talk more about uh, Aaron Schwartz maybe a little bit in some upcoming shows because uh, I think that that is an interesting inter- intersection of some of the dilemmas of, of uh, modern technology as it relates to privacy and web access and, the, you know, the, the, the whole... I don't, almost you know, This is an area where Congress actually should be doing some more work, not not less work, and they're doing way too little work in some other areas as well and way too much work in some areas that they should keep their cotton pinking fingers off of. Um, worst Congress ever. Worst Congress ever, according to Thomas Mann and Norm Ornstein, experts on Congress. By the way, an absolutely superb uh, article in yesterday's uh, Sunday's New York Times about e- the economic 
stagnation in America explaining why the uh, economy is just sort of, you know, kind of slow-poking along turtle style because of the uh, incredible increases in productivity, some attributable to technology connected with computers, but some of it also uh, connected to uh, improved things like robotics and manufacturing and that sort of thing. Normally in the American economy, when productivity is going up, and it's skyrocketed, of course, during the 90s and even during parts of the uh, last decade, 38% um, increase, but then it shows the pay increase um, lagging, sadly, lagging behind. sadly behind that. And, of course, the the money is going somewhere, and it's needless, saying, needless to say in this article by... Um, Stephen Greenhouse is going to the top 5%, the top 20%. They're receiving all the income gains. And it's interesting that the... Uh, well, it's because shareholders are the ones who really get uh, tax benefits. The median uh, hourly income in America is $16 an hour, $16.07 an hour. That, of course, means that half of jobs pay more than that and half pay less. Uh, they've received a 4% increase. That totals out to about $33,000 a year. But it's interesting that the 20th percentile and the 10th percentile uh, are people making less than $10 an hour, and they've received 1% pay increases over the past um, tw uh, 15, or excuse me, uh, 15 years, basically, this data it looks at 1995 to 2011. And, of course, people on that end are the ones for whom increases in food costs uh, hurt the most. Yeah. And um, we've seen a number of those in the last couple of years. You know, it's, it's been detailed, for instance, that uh, college debt now exceeds total credit card debt in the United States so that uh, the correspondence between making more money in the American economy, which is presumably entails... Um, you know, acquiring a college degree um, is very expensive and that people are going into and assuming onerous debt burdens to obtain that degree. And in some cases, of course, can't find jobs uh, to back that up. Well, as we've noted before, a college degree is today what a high school diploma once was. Yeah. You know, there's, there's absolutely no way you've got an entry level into anywhere with a high school diploma. These days, except for a college, and uh, you're going to have to get through that before you can have anything like a well-paying job. And as many of the uh, <clears throat> manufacturers in the Midwest have pointed out, they need much higher skilled uh, workers now to be able to read uh, blueprints. They have to have more math and... Uh, geometry and these sorts of things well of course and, and, and you know, technicians and co cases. communication skills as well so it, it's across the board uh, education at every level is uh the best investment that a government can make but we've seen here at, in michigan the state government make cuts in education spending and that of course reduces uh, michigan's ability to compete yeah and those are misplaced priorities that have I think, been consistent with the downsizing of, quote-unquote, government. Right. Um, this is the the approach that this is where we need to have the the budget cuts 
uh, in many states and well, even this at is, the federal level. Yeah, and this is where the, the Tea Partiers uh, get the wool pulled over their eyes because they're convinced by their backers that they should be against the government. And, of course, the government is what makes things like the hospitals and the schools and the colleges function, as we know. Uh, so to be against the government is to uh, unchain all anything like a shackle holding back uh, the old laissez-faire capitalism that uh, worked so splendidly in the past. And, of course, the government is also connected to the infrastructure. Uh, it's no, it's, it's, I mean, it's a historical fact that even the World Wide Web pretty much uh, was, a, was a sort of a spinoff of uh, the NASA program. Uh, most of the computer... Uh, and it's interesting to put a man on the moon, by the way, in, in terms of adjusted uh, dollars uh, from that era... The U.S. spent $180 billion. Now, this, of course, was a symbolic goal that uh, John F. Kennedy announced in September of 1962. But it was uh, partially a, a Cold War uh, competition related to Sputnik. But I think that it also had a higher uh, um, sort of uh, purpose at the end of the day. And it uh, succeeded. <laughs> One of the great successes, but infrastructure has been a uh, focus of where government needs to spend more money, not less money. And it's uh, very troubling to see, for instance, this sort of uh, slow-moving aid to the northeastern states that were affected by Hurricane mm -hmm. Sandy, um, as opposed to quicker responses, so to speak, and they weren't quick at all in response to Katrina. Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana were impacted there. And, of course, most hurricanes affect the uh, red states in the south. So there does seem to be some regional rivalry there that uh, I think is troubling as it relates to the approach uh, uh, that the United States needs to uh, take related to government. Speaking of government, by the way, it's uh, interesting to note that France over the weekend has decided to intervene in Mali militarily. Uh, air power being deployed, um, whether boots are going to be put on the ground, one doesn't know. I don't know if Mitt Romney's battleships are <laughs> being fired up there in Boston Harbor, but <laughs> I think not. Uh, once again, the Obama administration has admitted that they gave material support to this, uh, these air operations in Mali. Mali, a country that I'm fond of their music in particular, uh, I'd be, uh, Habib Kwate, uh, an unbelievable performer from Mali, Ali Farkature, Anamani mm -hmm. Chiobati, who just passed away, by the way. Mali, fabulous uh, and significant uh, hist historical uh, area of the world. And uh, this, of course, is an area, of allegedly, by the way, and I, I, I use the word allegedly in quotes, that's probably about half the size of the United States where uh, so-called al-Qaeda in the Maghreb is supposedly in charge of. But uh, I wonder how in charge they really are. I think some of these... Smaller cities are probably uh, 
you know, Sharia law and, and what's going on in some of these cities is, is horrendous stuff when you hear about some of the um, cultural impositions that Al-Qaeda and the Maghreb is uh, putting on people. Uh, banning music <laughs> strikes me as a losing proposition. People love music, and in fact, uh, if you stick around in just a few minutes, you'll be able to hear some fine uh, Delta Blues music, some of which was directly inspired by Africans uprooted from their homeland in West Africa, Mali, Yeah, for example. Uh, and these musical traditions came uh, to the United States against their will originally, but uh, these are the sources of the blues. They are the sources of the blues. Yazoo City Calling will be coming up here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor in a few minutes or so. As we wind it up here for another week on uh, Gray Matters. A lot of uh, interesting articles that I've collected over the last year about health and whatnot. I'm going to read one short one here about uh, <clears throat> television. <laughs> a national survey of more than 12,000 students in grades 5 to 10 has found that television viewing is associated not only with unhealthy snacking while watching, but also unhealthy eating at all times. Researchers asked children how much TV they watched, how often they snacked while watching, how often they ate fruits, vegetables, candies, and drank soda, and how often they skipped breakfast. The survey uncovered a variety of... Of differences by sex, age, and race, for example, girls watched slightly less than boys, older children ate fast food more often, and white children were more likely to eat fruits and vegetables daily. But overall, after controlling for other factors, viewing time associated with children was associated with lower odds of eating fruits and vegetables daily and higher odds of skipping breakfast. Adjusted for snacking while watching TV did not change associations, leading the researchers to suggest that broadcast advertising influences eating choices even when children are away from television. There's something parents can do, said Dr. Ronald Ionata, a author of the study. Limit TV time and make sure healthy snacks, particularly fruits, are available. The study appeared in the May issue of Archives of Pediatrics and Adolescent Medicine, that courtesy of Science Times, dated the 15th of May, 2012. So there you have it. Switch off your TV and keep that radio on. Thanks to Andrew for engineering. Stay tuned. Uh, Yazoo City Calling coming up next right here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor.
That's Memphis Jug Band in the background doing the gator wobble, telling you it's time for Yazoo City Coffee.